What would you say you do here? Have a good time all the time. Who's got it better than us? Nobody! What in God's holy name are you blathering about? Well, I'll tell you what I'm blathering about. I've got information, man. I want you to be realistic. What do you love about music? Are you being realistic? As the story grows. Thanks for joining us again here on As the Story Grows uh, for the next chapter. Uh, my name is Trav. Steven can't join us this time, but I, I hired another Steven for the day. I, I got another Steven on the end of the line. Uh, everybody might know him from a couple of the bands that he's been in. Further Seems Forever, uh, Strong Arm, all kinds of other stuff. I got Steven Kleisath. Do that last name for me. Kleisath. Hey, What kind of name is Kleisath? It's German. German. Got the German Steve Kleisath on the other end of the line. Steve, how you doing, well, actually, man? Thanks for actually German, Italian, and Irish, but who's counting? Good enough for me. <laughs> Thanks for joining well, me. Don't forget Shia Lee, by the way. <laughs> no, I, I, I didn't want to. I didn't want to pronounce something else wrong again. So yeah, Shia Lee. I didn't forget that. Um, Thanks for joining. Uh, thanks for joining me, man. I appreciate it. Oh, I, I, if everybody could hear the the, the chaos that we've been trying to get on get online here, a couple of drummers figuring out how to how to run this equipment has been like a, the proverbial greased up football with the monkeys. You know what I mean? That sounds a joke with that. How many drummers does it take? Dot, yeah. Dot, dot. yeah, I'm gonna go with. I'm not sure, but I know it's more than two. Obviously, <laughs> this has been a disaster. Nice. Anyway, thanks for joining me, man. Uh, how the heck are you? I'm good. Can't complain. Good. Um, thanks I, for having me. Yeah, absolutely. When I called you, Tennessee popped up on my phone. Are you in Tennessee? No, nope, I'm in Pompano Beach, Florida, but I kept my old number from, from when I used to live in Tennessee. Aha. Uh -huh. So now that nobody, nobody really has landlines anymore. Right. And uh, because of just music contacts of over the years, people know me most of this number. So, you know, I could change to a local number, but it's like sort of a what's the point thing. Gotcha. All right. That makes sense. Most people I know know. So. Right. Old Pano Beach, Florida. So I, I just recently heard uh, Chad Neptune uh, was on Billy Powers' podcast, and he gave us a he gave us a step through of um, the birth of him playing bass and and getting into Strong Arm, and then further seems forever. And I would imagine a lot of that story would parallel with you because you've been involved in a lot of it. He even mentioned how you were kind of ping-ponging back and forth between strong arm and shy Lude for a while um you, you were you were like the guy to get the call uh when it came to uh heavy stuff down in florida it looked like you were you were working quite a bit there in the mid 90s mid to late 90s um how'd you get started doing it like i i, hate, I, I don't want to throw softball questions up like uh, where did it all begin for you but um you, you got yourself you got yourself into a pretty um i mean a, as a drummer 
kind of speaking to another one, you kind of got yourself into a very, uh, how do I word it? Kind of a, like, you were like super progressive with your style of playing. Uh, not a typical, just, just four on the floor, punk metal crossover guy. You really, you've got some math and a lot of craziness going on with everything. How did you, how did you forge forward and find a niche in playing with these bands with having such a unique kind of crazy style? Well, part of it was uh, who I was playing with. Um, you know, Josh Colbert with a uh, strong arm and then eventually further. Right. And then Matt Fox with Shiloh. And then even prior to even meeting those guys, I mean, I had played in a group in Tampa, Florida. Um, the original name of the group was Friend or Foe, and then we changed our name to Pull. Right. And uh, the first release I'd ever been in a band and, and put out a, a release on was with that group, and that was on a, a label called Stiff Pole Records, mm -hmm. um, based in Florida. And Stiff Pole Records has actually put out a lot of nostalgic, older punk groups. But it was funny; we were sort of just this experimental kind of group that really wasn't classifiable or easily easily labeled. Right. But we were on a label where, like, Face to Face had their first release on Stiff Pole. It was like a split um, called Attack from Both Sides with the uh, California bands and Florida bands. And then, um, you know, there's other bands like the Pink Lincolns and just different, more straight up, like you were saying, straight ahead punk rock. And then they sort of put us on the label and we, we recorded this uh, four song seven inch record with uh, Morris Sound Studios, which Morris Sound in Tampa was, was really primarily known for death metal. Hmm. But we sort of brought to the table the sound that, you know, no one was very familiar with. And, and, what we were influenced by were groups that were definitely influential and known, but in a lot of circles obscure. Like a growing up, one of my favorite groups was a band called Killing Joke from England. Sure. And um, their drummers, they had two, were both just you know revolutionary in the style that they played, and you know just very unorthodox at times, and uh, writing a lot in three and six. And uh, it's, it's funny you can really make waltz and classic stylings very powerful in the realm right. of rock. So, you know, I'd always sort of been influenced by, even growing up, like I wasn't really part of any group. Like, you know, when you're, now I'm dating myself a little bit, but you're growing up, you know, you're in high school or whatever, and you have like the burnouts, and then you have like punk rock kids, and you have preps, and then you have this and that. It's just like I sort of took everything from almost every, you know, social base, and I wasn't really definitively pigeonholed or, or part of any of them. Right. And so that translated in music too. I just listened to a lot of different things when I was growing up. Now I'm from DC originally, Northern Virginia. Oh. So heavily influenced by the DC music scene of the uh, early and mid '80s, and that's basically when, you know, you had the birth of Fugazi, and you had the birth of groups who were, you know, came from the realm of the early '80s punk and hardcore scene, but you know they started writing this music that nobody could really quantify. I mean, it's, it's just a lot of different stuff going on, yet there's a formula to it. But, right. um, whether it be post-punk or what have you, you know, obviously people try to put labels on it. But anyway, prior to, I, I almost credited that group, Paul, um, crediting my stylings because it's really when I sort of, you know, became who I started to be in myself as a drummer. Mm -hmm. And then when I joined up. Now, I actually moved here to join Stronger. They, they had, um, I was living in Tampa, mm -hmm. and um, we sort of had some mutual friends through a couple different places um, that we sort of knew each other, like separated by maybe one, a couple mutual friends or whatever. But anyway, they, they came up to play a show. The Stronger was already around. I wasn't an original member of Stronger, of course. But Strongheart came up to Tampa to play this festival, and uh, my band Pole, we opened it actually. Oh, right. I guess they they had seen me play, and uh, you know, like Pole, we weren't a Christian band or anything. I mean, but the it's funny we we played this show, but it was like focused on the shame and Strongheart. It was like basically like a you know a Christian hardcore show. But then there was this band Pole, and we were like the furthest thing from it as far as the rest of the guys. And we were only a four piece, but right. we sort of, we sort of opened it up. And everybody really enjoyed what we brought, just what we were playing. Right. And then I guess they remembered me from that, 
and then also the seven inch record that I gave them that was already out. And so when it came to the situation, was that called, re was that called regret? Yes, very good. Do my homework. That's the name of the seven inch regret. Yep. Um, and then basically when they needed a drummer, they had uh, contacted me. And they were like, uh, you know, would you now obviously at this point strong arm was signed to Tooth and Nail Records and they'd already mm -hmm. had an album out, Atonement. Yeah. And um, I actually did backups on that album. I came down to South Florida at the time. Like we were already friends, you know, acquaintance to friends at that point. And then they asked if I wanted to join them and uh, you know you know, thought about it for a little while and mulled it over and then I was like, Yeah, well, you know, let's let's do this, you know, it's be an interesting experience and adventure and at that point, the poll sort of dried up. We weren't really doing the group that group anymore. Right. And so uh, I moved to South Florida, joined Strongarm, and getting, but roundabout, obviously, getting to your main question, the way Josh writes on guitar with Strongarm, as well as Fox with Shia Lute, it's funny, my drumming tends to, because, you know, historically, drums and bass usually are go together. They're the backbone, and sure. while the singer and the guitarist are doing their their stuff, you know, the bass and the drums are sort of the rig driver, so to speak, and just providing the, like you were saying, the four on the floor, the rig the, driver, the backbone of the song. Right. Um, I found myself writing to the guitar as much, if not more, than the bass, and because the, the way Josh writes is so transitional, uh, it made a lot of my drum stylings within the framework of these songs very transitional as well. That is a very so metal. That is a very metal approach to, 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 to drumming when you're chasing the rhythm guitar and stuff like that. And, and um, just because, uh, in my opinion, just because Josh and Strongarm and everything, they, they never had a lot of the uh, palm-muted rhythm guitar chug-chug that Florida was producing when it came to their metal. It, it, I, I get what you're saying. It sounds like the drums are kind of chasing. There's a lot of movement. Yeah, yeah. There's, the a, lot of, there's a lot of transition. Oh God! And there's a lot. And there's a lot of in between time as well. Right. And we didn't do it. I mean, it's one thing to do it forced, but it's another thing where it just came out natural. It's just how we were writing. Yeah. It's not like we were trying to be that per se, but for whatever reason, you know, and because usually Josh would come with an initial idea, and then he'd bring it to me, and then I'd sort of make a skeleton or a framework behind it, and everybody would start adding in their parts, and obviously it would be adjusted, you know, until everybody was was cool with it. Right. But yeah, Strongarm, that, that advent of a miracle album was a was really a breakthrough and um I just remember because I lived when I when I moved down here, I lived with Josh at his mom's house actually. And so we were always hanging out and just going over ideas and stuff like that. And it really became a nice camaraderie and we definitely just seemed to click in our styles of writing. Even yeah. though we both like different stuff. I mean, some of the stuff we like musically, we both like the same stuff, but then there was a lot of other stuff that he liked and that I liked that were a lot different, right. but I think all these all these different influences sort of came together, you know, into and for however for whatever reason, well, I don't know whatever reason, but we we just meshed and we were cohesive with each other, and and I feel uh, like with the advent, and then Matt Fox was another one. I mean, he enjoyed Josh's writing a lot, and right, you know, I brought you know when I joined Shiloh, their writing style changed a little bit too, sure, because. Uh, once again, just uh, just was a lot more room, a lot more territory to uh, be free. It was like very carefree and very, very uh, natural, but at the same time, there's a lot going on. It's a question so, of it's a question I've always wanted to ask you. Ever since I, I bought I bought Advent of a Miracle, and I'm not going to go fanboy on you, but it's like my favorite hardcore album or whatever uh, whatever well, box you, you want to put it in. Well, it I'm was, honored. And I'm that's the record. Misfortune. 
question I had for you. Do you think it was detrimental and did it help? I mean, you've, you've obviously been in a lot of bands, but even though Advent of a Miracle was kind of early, but your vocalist for Advent of a Miracle was a drummer. Yes, he was. He was and a drummer on the first part of it all. There you go. So Advent is kind of mathematical. It's, it's almost a progressive hardcore album. I, if, if I had to pick a box, that's what I would put it in. Do you think it helped that your, that your vocalist probably had better rhythm than a traditional vocalist like a lot yeah, of no, i mean I, I think naturally it helps to a certain extent because he's able to fit the vocal patterns or what have you within the, the framework and the music because he's sort of familiar with the style there you go because you know even on atonement it was a little more straight ahead but you know he had songs like division that were pretty progressive as well that's true that's I mean, true even even he played you know a little on the progressive side of the spills and stuff Right, right. The songs. I mean, Advent's you know a lot different, but there's definitely remote similarities. Although that sounds like an oxymoron, but um, you know, there <coughs> you can definitely tell in songs like Division that there was a route that can be taken. Right. That that transcended into the Advent album, but yeah, no, I think there's something to that. I think Chris, um, with the way he was fitting the vocals with the music, um, sort of had a sense of a. Uh, what was going he was familiar he already became familiar with uh you know how we were approaching uh the writing of it i knew it <laughs> you guys cheated you got a drummer to do the singing and you can play as crazy as you want and the guy will just mathematically figure out where to stick all the words good idea <laughs> yeah so yeah, you got Chris is a great guy good drummer in his own right whatever happened still- whatever happened to him i heard he went in didn't he become a youth pastor or something he still lives down. He's he's in South Florida. He lives in Pompano. I mean, I don't really see him a lot. Uh, okay. As a recent college, but he's married with a kid, and okay. uh, he was involved uh, with that for a while. I think now what he does is he's a like a building inspector, and uh, sort of like an independent contractor. But that's sort of the field that he's in. Gotcha. But he still is active uh, with the church, uh, from what I hear down here. I, I haven't been to it actually, but okay. Um, I think he's still involved in, uh, to a certain extent. But um, um I actually. Got him some work with a guy that was a customer of mine with a this car service that I helped run, and um, this guy needed uh, some repairs on his house. And you know, Chris is just a he's he's a jack of a lot of trades as far as like a handyman and you know fixing stuff and you know. So uh, what he's doing now is he seems to be happy with from what I hear. So jack of all trades, he's drummer for this album, vocalist for that album. Yeah, yeah, yeah that's right. Yeah, he covered the uh, covered the gambit. Plug him in, you know. <clears throat> Then um uh profound hatred uh profound hatred of man for Shai Halud uh, came out the next year. I mean uh, did strong did strong arm tour pretty heavily for Advent? Did you even have time? We I moved down here in nineteen ninety five, and I believe that was before Advent came out. Okay, but I think we did that trial seven inch. We had like a seven inch that we did increase which is on Advent, but the original version Jason did, the, the, the original singer, yep. before before he left the band. And then I think Trials was like the other side of that. like It was like a two-song seven-inch. Mm-hmm. And so we did some shows in the Midwest, I remember, um, in 95. But then, yeah, our full tours were 96 and 97. 1996, we did a summer tour with Overcome, a band from Arizona, yeah. and toured for pretty sure a couple months. And then in 97, we did a tour with Zayo, and that was another one that we, we did pretty much across country we, from east to west coast and sort of took a couple months and, and toured. So that was the extent of the touring I did with Strong Arm. It was basically like a couple months in the summer in 96, a couple months in the summer in 97. And then we would do, you know, like Cornerstone and spot dates and festivals, maybe four-day weekends here and there. Sure, and then sure. in 98 is when now, at the same time, Shiloh, Originally, I was just going to be in Shiloh to fill in until they found somebody. 
um, not as said originally, and then you know we just sort of took to each other well, and then they just wanted me to stay with them, and I wound up playing with both of them. But uh, at, in the beginning, it was, I was touring with Strongarm more. And mm-hmm. then how about mid-97, um, I know some of the guys who you know couldn't tour as much anymore with Strongarm, and then Shia at that point had just been signed to Crisis Records, and then was basically Revelation. And then they had more opportunities to tour, so I wound up touring with them. So, yeah, I mean, at, at one point I was touring with both Strongarm and Childhood at the same time. As a matter of fact, we did a tour. We did a couple tours together. So imagine the calories I was that those nights because I was doing a double set. And the money. A whole set with Strongarm and a whole set with Childhood. You were double dipping, too. You are probably dragging it in bags of money at a time, right? Yeah, I basically did those shows and then I did, did that set every night and then just tried one to go to bed. <laughs> yeah, so maybe like morning afternoon the next day i wasn't wasn't definitely wasn't partying it up or anything after those shows that's but, the uh <laughs> that's that's the that's the eat whatever you want tour it won't matter because i'm just gonna burn it off anyway oh yeah exactly yeah and we didn't have much money to eat either on top of that so it was like you know eat what i can get as we go along but i'll back travis it's like it's unbelievable to think what we actually did with virtually no money um you know, we, you know, we toured, we, we would do like a couple shows like on the East Coast and then maybe like a show in uh, Texas or something and then have a week off before we had some shows in California and just take that week and just explore the country. Like we'd go to the, we went to the Badlands and the Black Hills and Yellowstone and, you know, Mount Rushmore and we did all this amazing stuff that I'm, and looking back, I'm glad we did. Cool. But it seems like today thinking about it, if we were, you know, if we, I, I, I don't know if we'd have the, the the balls, I guess you could say, to pull it off with virtually no money. Right. So, right, so right. somehow we were able to get to where we needed to go and still make it to shows and stuff, but not really getting paid a lot and eating ramen noodles and just, you know, doing what we can just to be able to explore the country and see sights and be able to do that together. They, they were amazing experiences. They were as great as experiences actually playing the shows um, at that point was being able to see the country uh in primarily in 96 and 97 and then uh 98 is when um did some more shows with shy Lube, but at that point strong arm was pretty much calling it a day mm-hmm. and then you know me josh nick and chad we were just writing we wanted to write other music we didn't want to keep writing music that somewhat had to be limited with the label of hardcore and so because we like so many different things musically and so at that point we started writing music that would become Further seems forever, mm-hmm. and then at that point we had uh, befriended uh, Chris Grava, right? Who was in a band called the Bacon Andes, who we knew just from around town. Like in South Florida back in the day, they 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 always had for like promoters would always book variety shows. So you'd have like a you know a punk band, a hardcore band, then like an, a, an alternative rock group, and you know they just put a lot of different genres into one sort of you know show or mini festival or whatever and we just knew we knew the big nandies from around town and you know we were friends with john and, and uh john owens and chris Krava. and at the time we were like oh you know why don't we ask uh chris if he'd like to 
sing for this because you know Chris Carbonell, the singer for Strong Arm, you know he's screaming. He didn't really sing. Right. So we were like, no, we don't want to do stuff with screaming anymore at this point. We just would like to just write whatever comes out of us and try to get somebody that has some melody and harmony and you know actually sing. I feel you. I can understand that. And you know, Chris apparently had was a fan of Strong Arm. Like he enjoyed the, even though he played a little bit different music with Bacon Andy's, it was more toward melodic rock or melodic punk. Right. You know, he still enjoyed the, the, the musicality of Strong Arm and stuff. And so he, uh, we asked him if he wanted to give it a shot and see how it goes. And he's like, yeah. And, and you know, we all agreed to meet up and, you know, we started showing him the stuff we've been writing and he enjoyed it. And he started writing stuff to it. And one thing led to another. And, that eventually would become Furbishing forever, so. This is where the water becomes shallow And nothing here is quite as deep as you all did with me Wish the lines were drawn a little clearer The tides have turned, the struggle burned And everything is falling out of place Crying in the sky Shriveling and shrinking The hearts are turning brown It's wrangling and stinging As you bury yourself I was a big fan of Penny Black, man. I, I was stoked to hear that it was coming back out and my, uh, showing my kids the uh, So Cold video. I was like, check it out, it snows inside. But my kids are like, no way. It's pretty cool. <laughs> yeah, no, I, mean, I enjoy Penny Black too. It's a great record. I, I enjoyed the writing on it. Um, you know, the video was interesting. We, uh, we shot that in Orlando, actually, in, inside a sort of a landmark type building with a lot of interesting architecture and stuff. Yeah, the building Yeah. And then they added a storyline, which I was, you know, it, it's interesting. I mean, I, I guess I get what they were trying to get at with the storyline of, you know, a guy being sort of seduced or whatever to, to you know, statuesque or what have you. But, um, but no, I mean, I, I do like that record a lot. I, I wish we would have been able to, do, to play live on it more. I mean, we, unfortunately, Mother Nature, speaking of So Cold, Mother Nature really uh, dealt us a blow on a couple little mini tours we were supposed to do. Like the record came out October, 2012, and we did successfully do a West Coast run where we played like, we started in Chicago, and then we flew out to California and did like San Francisco, LA, Anaheim, and all those shows were phenomenal. Just amazing. People were great. We did a lot of Penny Black, and then we also did, you know, Moon is Down stuff. And then um, we were supposed to do a Northeast run in October of uh, 2012. And then Hurricane Sandy like wiped it all out. Yep. And, the, and then we had makeup dates uh, for those same initial dates, February of 2013. And then wouldn't you know it, Winter Storm Nemo comes, and then we get New York canceled again. Wow. So at that point, you know, we're like, it took a little bit of wind out of our sails because we're at that point we couldn't tour on the album full time anyway. Right. You know, three of the guys. If it was up to me and Chris, we probably we would like to, but. Josh, Nick, and Chad just can't really tour full time with their with their work and their families and stuff. So we were just trying to pick some, you know, right. some spots, some window of opportunity to try to do a little road work on the album because the album debuted on Billboard charts and it was doing well. Actually, that so cold video they played it on the uh, the E News Network rejoins for a little while, and so we started gaining a little bit of momentum and then uh, sort of the wind out of the sails with the uh, shows that we had canceled and then canceled again. <laughs> and then uh, at that point, Josh was moving to Nashville. Chris um, sort of, you know, his focus steered towards uh, this other group, Twin Forks, that he does now, which he had been wanting to do for a while. And he had been writing music on the side for it in the, in the midst of us finishing this Penny Black record. Mm -hmm. And so we knew that the window of opportunity on our end to do stuff for this album was, you know, not so big because we knew eventually he was going to, you know, give it a go with Twin Forks, and now, of course, he's about to embark on a, on a Dashboard Confessional uh, tour. They're sort of returned. 
and um, they're actually co-headlining with a with the '90s band Third Eye Blind. Um, a lot of people probably remember them from Radio Rock or whatever. Sure. But um, so he's going to be doing that for like the next two months. So unfortunately, further at this point is uh, as far as the lineup with Chris. There's the hint. Uh, is on, on the, it's on the back burner for now, but there's other developments that have become recent that, um, you know, we're going to slowly start, you know, hinting and sort of leaking the word out coming up for next year, actually. Not this year, probably, but some activity next year um, with one of the other incarnations of Further Seems Forever. So, um, one, of the, one of the other existing ones, or is there a fourth vocalist? <laughs> No, no, no. Well, um, uh, How to Start a Fire album here with Jason Gleason. Right. So we've been we've been talking, and um, you know, Meech had Derek Jason, which is primarily that lineup as far as touring wise. Um, obviously, Josh wrote for the album, but we have been uh, we've had some interest from. I mean, besides the mail that we've gotten over the years periodically, um, you know, a management and a booking team who would like to entertain the idea of us maybe doing a reunion of the How to Start a Fire album now that that's over 10 years old. And, um, you know, it looks like there, there may be some activity with that next year, but, uh, really, that's, that's a little heads up about it. Is that but, an, exclu- uh, is that an exclusive? Can I, can we break that on here? Um, we're not a, break. yeah, I mean, we're, I, not, I mean, we're, we're going to start slowly leaking in anyway on our Twitter and Facebook and our social networks coming up, maybe not until later this year though. Right. But, um, you know, it's in the works. We're not even sure. Like, nothing's booked yet or anything like that. It's just we've been talking about it, and signs look like we're going to attempt, you know, we're going to have a plan for uh, next year probably with uh, trying to play some festivals and okay. maybe doing a little run up the East Coast and West Coast at some point. You know, just doing doing some select stuff to uh, sort, of, uh, sort of what we did with Chris with The Moon Is Down. I know a lot of people – Love the How to Start a Fire era of Further Teams Forever as well. Yeah. Ironically, that record to this day has actually sold the most copies out of all of our records. And so um, we were definitely entertaining the idea of um, possibly coming back as a reunion for that album. So, well, there you, there you go. That's all, that's all we'll say about it. Further Seems Forever and Jason are talking. That's all. We'll just leave it right there. Yep, yep. Well, that's cool, man. Um, again, due to time constraints, let's let's move along here. Uh, this is this is called as the story grows. I, I I love rehashing and talking about the '90s and back when music was more reckless and tours had funnier stories and all that kind of stuff. But let's uh, let's get a little bit into uh, what it is that you do. You um you have something very very unique on your uh, on your Wikipedia profile here. Um, I'm not a gamer. I'm not a video game guy. I'm terrible. I'm the guy that kids used to drag to the mall to play Mortal Kombat because they knew I could lose. I'll lose, you know. But um, <laughs> um, you want to talk a little bit about your Mario Brother thing? I mean, this is this is amazing. I, I'm not a gamer and don't know anything about it, but I read up on it and thought, oh my god, this dude broke a record that was. Did I read 24 years old? Yeah. Well, what's the deal? Well, the world record. Well, basically, I'm sort of which has sort of been a godsend to me in the hiatus of not playing music as much, but I've been involved in the competitive classic arcade gaming community um, for the last few years now. Um, this sort of all sprung up from a documentary that came out, and anybody can Netflix it or Amazon it, probably even watch it on YouTube, but it's called The King of Kong, A Fistful of Quarters. That's the name of the documentary, and the premise of it is the two guys going at it for the world record in Donkey Kong. And one of the guys is a friend of mine, actually. His name is Billy Mitchell. He lives here in South Florida in Hollywood. When Billy Mitchell walks into an arcade, you know, everything stops. There's electricity around Billy Mitchell. Everybody wants to crowd around him. Everybody wants to see him. And he has a hot sauce business. So he's well, he's sort of known for his hot sauce, which is called Ricky's Hot Sauce. Okay. Uh, he's also a, known as the gamer of the century. He, he was the guy that did the first perfect Pac-Man game back in 1999. He was the world record holder in Donkey Kong and Centipede, and Donkey Kong Jr. for a while, and you know, oh, just yeah. a savant classic arcade gamer all the way around. But this documentary was based on him and a guy in the Pacific Northwest. But when I saw this documentary, it sort of, and a lot of people like myself, it sort of created this retro resurgence of people now in their 30s and 40s wanting to sort of get back to these classic games from the 80s and okay. compete 
and try to break world records on them. And so um, I recently, my most recent accomplishment was January of this year, where I broke the world record in Mario Brothers, original Mario Brothers. And it was the uh, stand-up classic arcade cabinet, so it's arcade platform. And I was the first person since the creation of the game to ever score over 5 million points. So it was definitely an amazing accomplishment. It was grueling. I hope to never have to do it again. How long did it take? How long did it? How long does it take to play Mario Brothers and get five million points? How long were you standing there? Just shy of six hours. Oh my God, dude! So you had people like coming up so, to you with cups on, of on one quarter. Well, I was actually streaming it on my Twitch page, so I was actually playing in my house on the stand-up classic arcade cabinet that I have. I see. And I was streaming the game from the beginning to the end, and you know what you have to do for Guinness, which is actually Twin Galaxies. Twin Galaxies. The name Twin Galaxies, that's the arcade division of Guinness Book of World Records. So they're like the video game scorekeeper department of, of Guinness. Cool. Uh, you have to show the game booting up from the beginning. You have to explain what you're doing. You have to show the entirety of the game. And then when the game's over, you got to take the back of the machine off, show the board and the dip switches, and make sure, you know, you have to, you know, be filming everything and make sure it's official kind of thing. Sure, sure. How do you pee? You're standing there for six hours. What do you do? Like, you can't, you can't walk away. The more pertinent question would be, how do you not get tired? <laughs> well, what okay. I did was, I, I, before I started playing, I just decided to do it one morning. I was like, oh, you know what? I've gotten so close to the record before. I happen to have a day off, just a free day that I didn't have anything else going on. And so I woke up in the morning, went to a 7-Eleven, bought two large... Um, um, like mocha shot um, espressos okay. and, and have them on top of my cabin. I'm like, I'm going to drink one before I start playing. And then if I survive long enough to like the, the three hour, three, four hour mark, I'm going to drink another one. <clears throat> so that way my eyes won't get heavy on me and I won't get tired. Because it really is, a, a, even though you're sitting there playing the game, I mean, Mario Brothers is a very difficult game. It's just like there's... There's, it's not just a basic pattern. There's a lot of stuff going on. There's a lot okay. of random elements that come out of nowhere, even as you get later in the game. And there's no end of the game that anybody knows of. There's no kill screen or anything like in some of the other classic games. So I wound up playing, and the world record was 4.6 million. That was standing since 2009. A guy named Tom Vadova uh, got that world record. But the world record that he broke, that had stood up since 1984, leading up to 2009. Get out of here. That was by a guy named Perry Rogers who had scored 3.4 million. And that guy did it back in 84. So nobody had come close to breaking that record until this guy Tom did in 2009. And so I'd always had an affinity for this game. And I was able to acquire a cabinet that I saw an ad for and I was able to retrieve it. And then I was like, well, it's in my house now. So I can start practicing for it and see if I can actually beat that score, which seemed impossible at the time. But yeah. sure enough, you know, just. You know, put the effort in, put the practice in for about six to eight months, and finally on that one day in January, uh, I was able to get past Tom and sort of separate myself from his record by about another 800,000 points. And so I ended up with a score of like 5.4 million. And um, I'm also number three in the world in Turbo Miss Pac-Man. So uh, I'm looking oh. to uh, hopefully get that world record in Miss Pac-Man uh, at some point sooner than later. But yeah, this community is interesting. It's like I, I have a whole new group of friends based on attending some of these arcade and pinball expos around the country throughout the last couple of years. And um, the, the one that's coming up that I'm going to be going to is called Replay FX. It's in Pittsburgh. It's July 30th through August 2nd. Okay. I'll actually be giving a seminar, and I'm a panel panelist for Mario Brothers, just the Mario Brothers being the catalyst to all things Mario. Because, you know, as you know, even if you don't play video games, you know who Mario is. I don't think there's anybody on Earth uh, that hasn't heard of the character Mario at some point in their lives. I'd say he's probably second to Mickey Mouse. Sure. So, <laughs> so the fact that I have a world record on the very first incarnation of a Mario, well, actually, the third. There was Donkey Kong, there was Donkey Kong Jr., and then Mario Brothers. And so... Um. Um, I think I, I think I have a decent question. Maybe I can redeem myself from the uh, how do you pee. Um, if there's no – Well, I, I held it. I'm sorry. I actually didn't answer that. But <laughs> I just peed before I started playing. And then, you know, I was able to just be fine for that period of time. I mean, once the game is over and I verified everything, then 
then I uh, rush to the bathroom to uh, gotcha. release. Fair enough. <laughs> um, if there's no kill screen and there's no end of the game, did you just get to the point where you said, okay, I hit 5 million points, I'm done now, or did you actually die? No, I kept going. Because after I reached 5 million, then I had people in the in, on my Twitch stream like, go for 6, go for 6 million, you, know, you may never get this far again. And then right. uh, I, got, I got to 5.4, and then, yeah, I just legitimately died on, at that point on my last man. See, the thing with Mario Brothers, you only get four men. I mean, you get three okay. to start, you get one extra man, and then that's it. And I was also a medium difficulty setting, which is the the standard, which is the correct setting to uh, for the record that I was going for. Okay. You have okay. easy, medium, hard, and hardest on the dip switches on the game, and I had it on medium, which is the Twin Galaxies approved uh, setting. So um, yeah, I mean, it's trust me, it was uh, after you get to that two million marker. I mean, very few people have ever even just for reference, very few people have ever even scored one million. On Mario Brothers, it's it's very hard to do. I mean, I'd say you probably count on your hands the amount of people that have even gotten. I would say, at, even at three million points, it's probably a, a list of me and three other people. Really? In the world, so yeah, that'd be I'm, 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 I'm fairly certain I've never even played it. <laughs> I'm not even sure I know what Mario. Well, what most like. people know is when they used to have their Nintendo home systems. And yeah, you had Super Mario Brothers and Duck Hunt. Sure. And uh, most people know Super Mario Brothers, which was the second Mario Brothers game. Yeah, dude, Inside Out. We all played it. Exactly. And I'm very good at Super Mario Brothers, too. But Original Mario Brothers, which is the catalyst. In other words, Original Mario Brothers is the first time you saw Turtles, first time you saw Pipes, first time you saw any of that stuff that would wind up being a fixture in all the other Mario games to come, including about the newer ones. So, and then Miss Pac-Man is another, I mean, I used to have a, a Miss Pac-Man cabin and I sold that um, around Christmas last year. So that was convenient for me to play too at times. And I've actually broke over 900,000 points on Miss Pac-Man, which very, you know, just a handful of people have ever done that as well. So, I mean, it's, you know, it's, it's just something, I don't know. I was always good at it when I was younger. You were saying how you were that kid that got dragged to the arcade. I was the kid that everybody got pissed off on because they, they couldn't get on the game. Right, right. <laughs> so I would just keep playing, and they're like, "Come you on, man!" Yeah, like, you, don't, you don't want to go to the mall with him. You'll stand there and watch him play for five hours. Yeah, no. Yeah, thanks. Hey, look, when you're poor, you gotta let that quarter go a long way. Uh yeah, fair enough. That's fair. Like, there's motivation to uh, to be good, so you don't have to be spending money. Right. <laughs> you can Speak make the most out of your uh, your initial contribution to said game. Speaking of money, you're a semi-professional poker player, also, are you not? Yeah, I play. Um, I don't play as much. There was a period of time where I was actually doing it pseudo uh, for a living, but um, recently I've I actually started playing online again. There's actually a couple sites uh, for United States players where they can actually play online again, and you know you deposit with a credit card and you withdraw using Western Union. Uh, obviously, there was the Black Friday that happened a couple of years back with the major poker sites to where people in the United States couldn't play online anymore. Um, because of uh, it was like Full Tilt Poker and Poker Stars, some of the really big ones that advertised a lot. But now there's a couple sites that have sort of sprouted up that uh, American users can play on again, depending on what state you're in, of course. Mm -hmm. uh, so in addition to the online stuff, there's, you know, in South Florida, we just have a lot of casinos now down here. and it, It's sort of become a little bit of Vegas East. Um, you know, a lot of places to play poker live, a lot of tournaments going on, a lot of cash games going on. And so, yeah, it's definitely supplemental income. I definitely like to consider, like, a part-time job. You know, unless you have, like, a safety net of a really good bankroll, it's really hard to do it full-time. Sure. Because you, you really need to play. The main thing with poker is no matter how good you are, no matter how, no matter how many correct decisions you make, you can always get unlucky. So, I mean, you definitely should always play with what you can afford to lose, worst-case scenario. Right, right, And right. that's the difference between a poker player and a degenerate gambler. But <laughs> the poker is the only game I play as far as that realm. Like, I don't do slots or roulette or, you know, I know there's a method to blackjack apparently, but I haven't tried that. So I'm mostly just a poker guy. I do. I used to definitely enjoy watching the um, some of the shows back in the day. Like uh, on GSN, there was High Stakes Poker. And, sure. You know, uh, Poker After Dark on NBC. And those were mostly cash game shows, which I really enjoyed watching. 
sort of seeing how uh, poker is played on a high level with you know some of the uh, some of the, the well-known pros worldwide. But yeah, no, I do love the game. It's a great mental challenge. It's definitely a combination of instinct, mathematics, and position, especially in hold'em, uh, what position you're in at the table in, in a given hand. And so there's uh, definitely a lot of elements that go into it. Wow. But but it can be frustrating and it can be glorious. You know, it's like there's a saying, you know, it's the easy, it's the, it's the hardest way to make an easy living. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> Like anything, strikes and gutters, you know what I mean? Yeah. I actually, um, down here, I have a friend who runs a business called Arcade Game Sales. Okay. He buys, sells, and trades, and builds cabinets, and um, he has a building. Uh, he facilitates it, and I, I uh, promote, advertise, and host an event every couple months called Retro Arcade Night, and it's basically a flat rate admission at the door. It's uh, like usually on Saturday night, last Saturday of every month, or last weekend, last Saturday weekend of every month. And um, it's uh, all you can play all night, just flat rate admission at the door. We have like 65 machines in there, different pinball machines and classic arcade games, and you know, uh, basketball and foosball. So it's, it's a pretty fun time. That's sort of another little side business that I, I've taken up with the owner of this uh, business. And uh, we're taking the summer off, but we'll be back doing it in the fall. So it's another little fun thing to do. And much like music, uh, you know, you, get to meet different people from all different walks of life. And it's the people who show up to this event. It's, it's a big melting pot of, you know, parents with their kids, like families, and then single people, and then college people, and then older people that are competing. And it's definitely always an interesting experience. So. It's, a whole, it's a whole culture that I didn't, I didn't even, I don't know anything about it. Obviously, I know, I know that there's people that play poker professionally. Uh, I know that there's people out there that are so into video games that they're like, uh, no home system. systems. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I mean, nowadays, the Xbox and the Wii and the, uh, you know, the, the, the fight, the shooting games and the, right, you know, right. like the Black Ops and all that stuff, which is all awesome, of course. But I know, thought I was getting good. We got a Wii for the, for the kids. I thought I was getting good at Mario Kart. And then one time on vacation, uh, connected it to the Wi Fi, and I decided uh, it's like two in the morning. It's got to be daylight in the other parts of the world. I'm going to go into the live. Mario Kart. I'm going to compete with people from around the world. I got, <laughs> dude, I got trounced, man. <laughs> just, That's a fun name, I, isn't it? I, I, I thought I was good, and then I had like I had like little kids that I could tell by their profiles. They were all they looked like they were seven, you know, and they were just man, they were doing wheelies around me, and I was like, oh, okay. I'll tell you another game. I'll tell you another game that's really popular: Super Smash Brothers. That's a lot of fun too. Oh, there you go. Okay. Super Smash Brothers. You can be like. Anybody, you can Anybody. Mario that faces off against Pac-Man. It's like a fighting yep. game, but it's like yep, I have it. I have it, and it's sitting in the next room. But like I said, I don't, I don't, I don't play video games. I'm not probably probably better off talking to my son. To be honest with you, but um, you do the video game stuff, you do the poker stuff. You're heavily involved in music. You're talking about uh, uh, classic arcade game night or something like that. You're doing. You're you're talking about uh, video games in Pittsburgh. What what do you do for a living? Is it a little bit of a lot of things, or do you have a nine to five? Like like, what, what do you do Monday through Friday? Well, I have a pretty erratic schedule. It's definitely not nine to five. Um, uh, <laughs> I work I work with a, a transportation company called Alpha Trans. Okay, and it's like a limousine company, and I'm an independent contractor. I work with the owner. It's basically me and the owner. I've worked with him for about eight years now. We both drive. We both set up, you know, clients, and so basically, it's um. We have limousine. We have like a four different, four or five different vehicles, and we do uh, airport runs and cruise ship runs. And oh, okay. Spe special events and weddings and night out in the town and charters. And uh, our high seasons typically December through May down here in South Florida because we have the snowbirds, the six month residents. Gotcha. You know, spring break and holidays and stuff like that. And then we have about four hotels that use us exclusively as their car service. And then on top of that, we have customers that we've just built up over the years that use us regularly and they're like repeat customers and a couple of corporate entities too um, like office depot and janum family and staples and whenever their people come down from out of town for training or for meetings you know they they use us as their as their car service so um, you know, now, called, now that you mention it that's strange that you mentioned that my uh friend of my neighbor who lives up the street uh he and i drove down to florida in march to go see uh some phillies spring training in okay. uh in clearwater I remember being in, which is 
gorgeous, by the way. I remember being in Clearwater and making the comment of like, dude, there's a lot of limos around. Like, I, I didn't, I, I don't know why it stuck out, but I just felt like I was seeing a lot of them. And that was March, and it was all of us Pennsylvania dorks going down there and watching baseball. But I guess it's just people, you know, they want to go down there and drink the whole time. And I guess they're being safer and spending some money. But, man, now that you mention it, yeah, there were a lot of, <laughs> a lot of limos climbing around Florida in March. Yeah, there is. There's a lot of limousine companies. There's a lot of competition. I mean, we've, we've been able to establish our niche in the area that we're in. I actually just <laughs> recently just Facebook page. Um, you can go to it. It's Alpha Trans Car Services on Facebook. It's sort of attached to my Facebook page. Gotcha. And I actually sort of did a little camp promotion campaign for it this week to get the word out more regionally about our service because we cover a pretty big area for a smaller operation. Well, there you go. But anyway, that, that's uh, one of the main things I do. Obviously, like I said, I, I get income streams from poker periodically and from uh, uh, this little side business with the Arcade Night. And so, uh, and then of course, you know, still trickling royalties here and there, maybe music-wise, but Sure. Nothing, nothing to write home about on that. But at this point, because I've been, you know, especially with the main groups I do, uh, a little more on the inactive side, touring-wise. But I do collaborate with other people musically, periodically as well. Just stuff that, you know, I don't hasn't really been talked about, or you know, I haven't broadcasted it, so to speak. But you know, like hired gun work, I'll I'll play for a like a church here and there, or maybe an artist that wanted me to track drums in the studio. So mm -hmm. I, I do different stuff musically as well. Uh, when the opportunities arise, uh, which serves as, you know, extra money. Mm -hmm. So, but yeah, Alpha Trans would be, I guess you could call it the the bread and butter work-wise. But what, what's interesting about Alpha Trans is, it's, you know, it, it, it's funny. Doing this job is very similar to music. You know, I'm always meeting different people, different areas of the world, different walks of life periodically. And it's definitely adventurous. It's an interesting job. It's I'm outside, I'm on the go. I'm not really the type that can do the nine to five being being a cubicle or being in the same place for, for eight hours just a right. you know, too too antsy and fidgety for that. So <laughs> I, I do enjoy what I do though, and, and you know loving or even liking what you do is typically a career as opposed to a job. And so um, you know I've been definitely taking pride in uh, helping to grow this Alpha Trans business over the last eight years now. And the other cool part about it is within reason. When music stuff does come up, I can always leave and then come back and schedule around. It. Yep, schedule <laughs> because I work. Yeah, because I work with the owner, really more than for him being an independent contractor. So I've 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 been saying that for years, dude. If 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 the alarm clock, my alarm clock goes off at five thirty a.m. every single day, but if the uh, if you can roll out of bed and go, okay, time to go to work, and you don't uh, the whole time, and you just think, oh, I gotta get another job. I hate this. This sucks. I hate it. Right. Um, that, that's success, in my opinion. I don't care if you're. I don't care if you're making sandwiches. It's it's just the matter of I can get out of bed and not absolutely hate where I'm going. Um, exactly. making, making enough money to keep the lights on. I don't care what it is, you know. So yeah. that's that's great. I can't complain. I can't complain about my job too much. You know, I wake up and I jump in a Lexus hybrid go to a hotel, pick up somebody who could be interesting to talk to. And, you know, and that's the whole thing is when I'm, when I'm picking up people or, or, or my passengers, it's really having a sense of where they're at, like sort of mirroring them. Like sometimes I'll pick up somebody and they want to have a conversation. Right. So you definitely converse with them. That's usually going to help your gratuity, you know, on top of just <laughs> sure. the percentage of the job. And, yeah. uh, and the more comfortable a person feels, the more likely they are to use you again in the future. Definitely. So especially if the you know they're in a nice car and it's like a nice drive and you know you're accompanying or you're being friendly and just uh, um, you know being uh, you know what they want you to be. You know, sometimes people just want to be quiet and just fall some rest or some people they want to hold a conversation. So it's just sort of being a right. being a chameleon of where the passengers at at that point in time that when you're taking them from point A to point B. Well, there you go. If if we have any listeners uh, near Pompano Beach in Florida, and you need a limo, you call this guy. There you go, Alpha Trans Car Services. What? Where? Where would people go to find you? I mean, I'm some people just no matter how many notes you put in there, they just don't click on it. They still have to hear it. So uh, I know sorry, social network. Social. I know you're on Twitter. I know you got Facebook. So so what do you got? If for Facebook, you can just look up my name, Stephen Kleisap, and okay. uh, it's it's more towards a rare last name, so you'll probably find me. You know, sure. right off the bat. Obviously, Further Seems Forever, we have a Facebook page. We also yeah. have a Twitter account. 
On Twitter, I'm at FSFSLK. Yep. For the Super <laughs> Forever, sure Stephen Lee Glyseth, right? Yep, yep. So there you, you can get me on Facebook or Twitter. Um, don't have an Instagram. <clears throat> I've been told uh, probably need to get one at some point or start one up. So I think probably further we'll have one soon um, from what I've been told. And then, um, you know, as far as social network goes, I guess those are the, the two main ways to, uh, to reach me. There you go. That's how we all do it. Uh, anything else you want to tell you want to tell the listeners anything else before we get going? I mean, I I I, I think it's amazing that you were talking uh, about uh, the uh, how to start a fire lineup with Jason, and that that's awesome. That's great news. I love I love that album. I love all three of them, and I love all three of them for different reasons. It's kind of neat that you know they all move they all move around because of a different vocalist. They they sound totally different, and they don't. And it's it's to survive that. And then survive it again, and still be able to crank out an album that makes sense. That's 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 something in itself. But it's actually, four albums. Sorry, say it again. It's actually, four albums with uh, we finally with three, we we finally achieved uh, getting the same singer on two albums. Right. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Took you three with, tracks with, with Penguin. Yeah, but uh, anything else? Um. No, I guess that's it. Like I said, just stay tuned. And Oh, actually, let me give you my Twitch page. That's right. Um, www.twitch.tv slash Maximum Steve. <laughs> Maximum Steve. <laughs> that is my Twitch uh, handle, and that's my Twitch page. And I stream pretty regularly. You can catch me streaming uh, classic arcade games, or you can actually uh, click to um, – Follow me, and then whenever I go on, Twitch automatically puts a message in your in your email saying that I'm streaming live online, and then you can go to the page and watch whatever I'm doing. Um, typically, typically I'm streaming either you know classic arcade games or online poker. Maximum Steve had to give me a lesson on what Twitch even was. He, he was like, I don't have I don't have Google Hangouts, but I have Skype. I was like, nah, we can't do Skype. And he goes, yeah, I, I, and my computer, I don't know what's going on with it. My computer's great. I have everything high speed and everything because I do Twitch. And I'm like, huh? What's Twitch? He had to explain to me what that was. But uh, it's pretty neat. Uh, if anybody's into the gaming and watching other people game and stuff like that, I I, I, I don't know. I'll, I guess I can try watching it, but... <laughs> you're, speaking, world sometime. you're speaking another language man I, I just that's not my that's not my world but uh super impressive that anybody can stand at a video game for six hours on a quarter that's that's amazing but uh steve thanks so much for your time man i appreciate it um oh thanks for having me i appreciate it yeah this is this is this has been a great talk i'm glad we got to step through some of the strong arm shy halud stuff because that's uh that's my bread and butter back then, man. That was that was the that was that was the stuff. Shiloh still happened. I mean, Matt Fox is still at the helm. They, uh, I think, they're working on a new album. Actually, um, you know, I may do some cameos with them at some point. Nice. Um, or play with them maybe here and there if, if needed. Yeah. Um, but otherwise, uh, yeah, they're they're still going. As a credit to, uh, you know, the longevity of uh, that particular group. But awesome. Well, All right, sir. Still kicking. Thanks for your time. All right. And, uh, Thanks for having me. And take care. And I'll be looking uh, for uh, the podcast or the uh, all the information so I can um, go ahead and uh, sort of boost your show. I'm speaking out the social networks. I'll, I'll so take I can, it. I can get the word out about you, what you guys are doing. We'll take it. We'll take <laughs> it, man. Yeah, you're helping us more than we're helping you right now. So, <laughs> Sounds but, uh, good. Thanks for the time. All right, man. I'll talk to you soon. All right, brother. Thank you.
We love you. Take care. Bye-bye.